0: morning we're going to be in Ephesians 5 verses 7 through 15. Therefore do not become partners with them for at one time you were darkness but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness but instead expose them. A couple of years ago, Christianity Today had a particular podcast that many of you probably listened to because it was all the rage. People were talking about it in evangelical circles. It was called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. This podcast retraced the meteoric rise and then equally spectacular collapse of megachurch pastor Mark Driscoll. In Seattle, and his group of 12 or 15 campuses that were called Mars Hill Church. If you listen to this or if you're familiar with this story, nearly every episode focused on the scandals and the spiritual abuses that defined Driscoll's time in Seattle. Now, I know a lot of pastors and church workers and Christians that seemingly could not get enough of this podcast. They would literally schedule. Here's when the next episode is coming out. And I can't wait to hear the next salacious detail and the stories and the crazy recordings that people have of this guy's rants to particularly his men's group. But the podcast was very polarizing. I heard both of these things personally. One large group of people said, hey, it is good and it is right that we are shining the light the, the truth on this person, on this church, on this situation, um, kind of doing an autopsy on why did this church die? Why did it flame out so spectacularly? You know, we need to understand what happened so that it serves as a warning to other pastors and other churches. So this is a good thing. And at the same time, I heard the exact opposite, that this is a divisive podcast, it is an evil podcast. Um, If someone had a problem with Pastor Mark, then they should have just gone to him privately, and this stuff never should have been aired publicly. Well, our text this morning actually helps us process situations like this, and I don't mean what do we do with the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, I mean more generally how do we respond to darkness? Whether we find it in ourselves, in our church, in the church, or in the world, how do we respond to darkness? Do we separate from it? Do we infiltrate it and try to change it from the inside? Do we call it out? Do we say things like things that I've heard, like it's not my job to play the Holy Spirit and just let God handle it? So looking at this text this morning, Ephesians 5, 7 through 15a, let's say, here's the one big idea. Paul is saying that following Jesus means embracing our identity as light and consistently living in the reality of that identity. He's calling us to embrace light as our identity, who we are, And then consistently living in the reality of that identity. We're going to look at four points this morning where he tells us to embody the light, examine the fruit, expose the darkness, and exhort the slumbering. So beginning in verse 8, embody the light. Okay, point one. Notice Paul says, at one time you were darkness." That's interesting because I think we would expect him maybe to say at one time you were in darkness or at one time you, you walked in darkness or you participated in darkness. But no, he's actually saying something stronger than that. He's saying you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So our relationship with the Lord, and he uses the word Lord to describe the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, so in Christ, we who once were darkness are now actually light. And if you remember back to chapter 2, or you can turn a page back in your Bible, there's a parallel here in chapter 2, verse 1, and chapter 2, verse 4, where he says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But then verse 4, but God made you alive with or in Christ. But God. And we talked about how important for our theology those two words, but God, are. We are not denying who we were. We're acknowledging who we are and saying, but God, or in the words of chapter 5. But now a decisive change has been made in our lives. And this change is not simply behaviors or actions. It's not simply the way we talk. He's saying it is a change of identity. But now in Christ, people who were dead are alive spiritually. But now in Christ, people who were darkness are now light. And that's so important to hear this. It's a key to the the sermon. It's a key to this text where he's saying, you as followers of Jesus do not merely reflect the light. You do not merely act like light, like try to do lighty sort of things. He says, you become the light. And he goes on here to say, you are light in the Lord, therefore walk as children of light. And this is one of Paul's favorite formulas or patterns where he's simply saying over and over again to followers of Jesus, be who you are. In other words, practice your position in Jesus. This is true of you, now live like it. He says, you are beloved children, you are saints, you are all these things. Just in the book of Ephesians, you are light, now act like it. And I was trying to think of an analogy. I've heard a lot of, a lot of different analogies. I've heard like, you know, like God is the sun and we are like mirrors that reflect his light. You've heard that maybe? Or, or, or God, is, God is the sun and we are the moon. Right? And depending on how we position ourselves like relative to God, the sun, the light, we can reflect the light to earth, to the world, to our culture. Um, and, I, and I like those analogies. I think they're, they're useful. I think the idea of knowing that the moon is just a big rock in outer space and it is not creating light but is merely reflecting light, um, that is a useful analogy for some things. Um, I want to use a little different analogy this morning with you. And and I'll begin by saying this is not scientifically technical. So if you know this stuff, and a couple of you probably know this stuff, like a geologist may know this stuff. I know there's a difference between like fluorescence and phosphorescence and other forms of luminescence. But you all know the idea of glow-in-the-dark material. And you did this maybe as kids where you take something that there's something inherent to the nature of this material, maybe it's a rock, maybe it's a sticker, and you take it out in the sun, and it absorbs the sun's rays, particularly ultraviolet light, and then you can take it in the dark, and this chemical reaction is happening where it continues to admit the light that it absorbed. This is is an imperfect analogy, but I think our relationship with God and the light is more like glow-in-the-dark material, than just we are not merely reflecting the light. He says, you are the light. And the the idea of the analogy I'm using is that this glow-in-the-dark material needs to stay in the presence of the light in order to kind of be continually activated with most of those materials that glow. Did you know we actually have an example of this in Scripture, what I'm talking about? So in in Exodus chapter 34, you know, the children of Israel, like hundreds of thousands of Hebrews or Israelites have been delivered from bondage in Egypt. And they're marching across the desert and they get to this mountain called Sinai. And Moses, their leader, is going up on the mountain and he's meeting with God. And God's giving him the Ten Commandments. He's giving them the pattern for the tabernacle and all these other laws and rules saying, like, you are my covenant people now live a certain way and the Bible says like as he comes from the presence of the Lord and comes back down to the people says his face shone with the glory of God like he had been in God's presence absorbing the glory and the light and as he then came back the guy's basically radioactive he's glowing in the dark and over time, as you read this story, it's like that that would gradually fade until he would go back into the presence of God and then kind of like be reignited with the glory of God. Now, Now, we are not Moses, and this is not happening in this literal sort of way that happened uniquely with him. But I think it's a useful analogy, and here's kind of the key, that shining the light of Christ into a dark culture, into a dark world, should not be something we think of as like this is an additional like add on to the Christian life that I'm called to live. Like it's something that I'm supposed to do and I'm either good at it or bad at it or somewhere in between. Rather, it is the natural effect of being in God's presence. And all of you probably know people that you meet with or talk with and because of their time spent communing with God in his word, in prayer, in healthy meditation, like that's a person that you want to be around because they just they just. Emanate something about, they radiate something about God's glory. And you would think like, they're not just doing light-like things. They're the light. And so my first encouragement is I say embody the light. I'm saying, so spend time with Christ. Spend time in His Word. Spend time serving Him. But also trusting Him. Listening to Him. Just being present with him and aware of how you enjoy him and then his light will naturally spill out of us now that that brings us to this next point if if i'm exposing myself to the glory like the ultraviolet light of god and then doing life what's going to spill out and the second point I'm calling examine the fruit, and I'll explain this in just a moment while I'm calling it that, but let's go on in the text, verses 9 and 10. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, let's stop there. Technically, light doesn't bear fruit. We know that, but we also know Paul loved mixed metaphors. Um, and I think his point is easy enough to understand, even though he's saying the fruit of light, okay? Backing up a little ways, Jesus himself often used the analogy of fruit, and he would say something like this, a a good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit, and his point was, and I think it's fairly simple but important, that if we want our lives to change, there has to be a change of our nature. We have to become good so that the natural outworking of our lives is good actions, good fruit, Because if if we remain rotten in who we are as a person, if we remain dark, to use Paul's word, what we're going to produce is something dark. So if you're a branch on a diseased banana tree, you're going to bear nasty bananas, which is redundant. But if you're a branch on a healthy grapevine you will naturally produce healthy clusters of grapes. And the capacity for one branch may be to bear 100 clusters, another 25, another 10, another 5. They're different capacities, but you're bearing something healthy because of your connection to a healthy vine. Okay? Now, coming back to Paul's point where he's mixing this analogy of fruit and light, I think his point here is simple as well. He's simply saying your life will automatically produce certain virtues so long as you stay connected to the light. Like you will be bearing fruit, you will be emanating something healthy, so long as you're walking in something healthy. So when I say examine the fruit, it's because of these kind of twofold instructions here. Number one, he's saying discern what kind of fruit pleases the Lord. And secondly, pay attention to your own life and understand where my life isn't producing the kind of thing that God says is healthy. And let's look at each of those for a moment. First of all, discern practices that please the Lord. And I do want to point out, like the ESV unfortunately inserts the word try here, like try to discern. The word try isn't there. And and I'm glad the word try isn't there because we, we can fall into this thing of like try to discern and just be like, well, it sounds like if I'm trying that it's something really hard. It's like try to lift a thousand pounds. And it's like, okay, well, I tried, I can't. So now I'm just going to go do this other thing. The word "try" isn't there. The idea of the word that he actually uses is test or examine or discern what pleases the Lord. It's not try to do this. It's it's actually you can do this, and the way you do this is by like study the life of Jesus, read his word, and he just comes right out and says, "Here are the kinds of things that please God. It's not a mystery." It's not hard to figure out. And notice he'll use three categories now of saying, here's what pleases God. Things that are good, things that are right, and things that are true. Good. It's a word that describes moral excellence or uprightness of heart. One commentator says, goodness calls believers to a vibrant, active concern for others so as to benefit them. We might translate the word generosity or even kindness. Because uh, I want you to get this idea, we can leave good or goodness as, like, this abstraction. Like, I don't know, what exactly is a good person? It's so abstract. Well, he's making it concrete and saying, goodness is expressed in relationship with others. Like, are you kind? Are you morally excellent in your posture, in your words, in your actions toward other people? Things that are right. This is the word the kayasune which is related to the word righteous or straight or level or conform to God's standard again this commentator says righteousness includes both the idea of personal integrity and of community justice and fairness and i think it's interesting that like conservative and liberal christians tend to divide over it like conservatives tend to be like i'm about personal moral righteousness And liberal Christians sometimes tend to be more like, I'm interested in community justice and community fairness. And the one word that he used here is like, God cares about and God produces things that are right, encompasses both that personal integrity that measures up to God's standard and the concern for what's going on in my community and who's not getting justice here and what does God want me to do about that? And then thirdly, things that are true just the word literally means things that correspond with reality. Christians, as I just listen to our cultural conversation that's happening right now, we have an incredible but also a simple opportunity to just say, hey, there are certain things that are becoming very popular right now that, that do not accord with reality. Like they're just simply not true. And we can say that they're true, and we can pretend like they're true. And we can say that that feelings trump facts. But the point here is that the light is not producing feelings trump facts. The light is producing what actually corresponds with reality. Because that is where your life and health and peace are going to be found. So when I hear about, like produce things that are good, produce things that are right, produce things that are true. I'm thinking of these other verses that many of you have probably memorized, Philippians 4, 8, and 9, where Paul writes to a different church. He says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So again, I'm not saying like try to just figure out what, what pleases God. He's going back to these lists and saying, well, what, what is honorable? That honors God. That pleases God. What is true? That pleases God. What is gracious and generous and kind? That pleases God. But then the flip side of this, so as we're discerning what kinds of things please God, I want to just grab verse 15a, that Lord willing, will come back to this next week. But, but notice he says, look carefully then how you walk. So when I'm saying examine the fruit, the first way we're examining fruit is we're looking at Jesus' fruit. We're looking at the fruit that God desires. But then we're saying, now how does my life compare and contrast with the life that Jesus calls me to? Look is just like see or pay attention to This word carefully, it's fascinating. It's it's a strict conformity to a known standard that includes detail and completeness. So it's like when I'm looking at the law of God, I'm not just like, well, I got it basically down. I did some good things today, some loving things. It's like, well, what is the detail here? What is the fullness? Am I content with being kind of sort of loving but not really? 50% 50% of the time or am I like I want my life to be a life of love all the time as Christ was. So just the the simple call here is if we're examining fruit, we're looking at the life of Jesus, we're looking what the word of God calls us to and as we embody the light, here's what's being produced in us. And I think there's a fair practice of just self-evaluation of saying you know, how did I do today? And talking to other people in my life, how am I doing? How am I growing? Where am I still falling short? Where, where am I still kind of embodying a little bit of darkness that I've hung on to, and that's being reflected in my life instead of this life of Jesus? Well, this brings us to another thing in our text that automatically happens. So remember I said, like, if, if you are light, then you're light. I mean, and I don't mean that to be like a tautology, but I mean, like, if in Christ, and you are in Christ— you are the light, then, by virtue of your nature, you are giving off light. That's automatic now, another thing that's automatic here, notice what happens when you are light and you go into the darkness? So you can just picture this as like you're you're in the middle of the woods um, and you it's pitch dark and you suddenly turn on a flashlight or and you're driving up some of these mountain roads in the middle of the night and your headlights come around that turn. Two things happen when you bring light into darkness. Number one, you light up the darkness. That's obvious, but, but what was dark becomes light. And number two, you reveal what's in the darkness. So the darkness becomes light and you reveal what is there. There. This is point three. Paul's saying expose the darkness. Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. That's an interesting contrast. Remember, the light had fruit. Now he's saying they're unfruitful works of darkness. So light is producing something healthy. Light is producing fruit. It's producing something life-giving, something enjoyable, something purposeful. But he says darkness produces, and the word he uses is barrenness, uselessness, emptiness, death. Darkness leads to death. Okay, last year on spring break, we were touring this coffee plantation in Hawaii. And you got to walk around the property and actually pull the little coffee cherries off the trees or bushes and eat them. There's all kinds of stuff growing around the property where you could just eat it, pick it and eat it. You could pick up these little herbs and make a tea. And we're walking to different sections of this farm up on this hillside next to the, the big volcano. And there were certain sections of this farm that had big black tarps over them. And so they're like, hey, ask any questions you want. And this tour guide's walking us around. What are these big black tarps for? Well, these are areas, these are fields that have kind of been over-farmed, and we've pulled kind of all the nutrients out of them. They're not doing well anymore. So we put these tarps over them, and because the light can't get through, everything underneath the tarp dies, is what he's saying. So you've got some healthy stuff under there, some stuff that you intended to plant. You've also got weeds, and different things that are growing on this plot of land but by putting these tarps over them and just leaving them there it kills everything well that's his picture here unfruitful works of darkness like we can pursue darkness and we can say no no no. this is life-giving this produces joy i'm so satisfied and god's perspective on this is it's like putting a tarp over an area of your life and just saying you can fool yourself for a period of time, but what's under there is going to die without the light. Okay, so we're called not to participate in the things that Scripture defines as darkness, things that are, you know, if, if, if the good is good, right, and true, then the bad is like bad, unrighteous, and false, harmful, etc. But notice it's not enough, he says, simply just not to participate in them. It's not just like, well, I'm coming out and like, I don't do that kind of stuff. He says, the flip side is you actually are supposed to expose them. Now, this is a fascinating word. In the Greek, it has a huge semantic range. It can be like the, it's the word for rebuke or reprove or admonish. So, you know, parents, it's like you you see your child doing something and you're offering a word of correction. This is this word. It's the word for, I don't think they had district attorneys that back then, but they did have lawyers. They did have people who had this role of cross-examining a criminal and convicting them publicly of wrongdoing. It's that word of cross-examine and convict and show other people why this person is guilty. It means... To bring something to light or to reveal something. And it also means show someone his sin and call him to repentance. Okay? Now, we look at this context, and I think expose obviously means something like bring it to light. Right? That's the plain meaning of verse 13. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. So paraphrase, when anything is brought into the light, it's revealed for what it is. You shine the light of truth into the darkness. And not only is there now light there instead of darkness, but you can see, oh, that's what's there. And it's like when you're in the basement or outside and you hear a sound and you get the bright light and you're walking around and you're now lighting up the darkness, you're making it a safer place. But you're also discovering what is there making that sound. Let's bring it to light. Let's expose it. Let's reveal it for what it is. John Stott says, The darkness hides the ugly realities of evil. The light makes them visible. Then evil is seen for what it is without any possibility of concealment or subterfuge. So I I literally wrote this list because we know metaphorically and actually the darkness is and the darkness represents a number of things. So the darkness of evil is exposed by the light of goodness. You just go with your life and you start shining the light of goodness as Christ is working this light through you and it's exposing the evil. It's revealing the evil for what it is. The darkness of injustice is exposed by the light of justice. The darkness of error and deceit is exposed by the light of truth. The darkness of sadness "...is exposed by the light of joy." The darkness of despair is exposed by the light of hope. The darkness of hatred is exposed by the light of love. The darkness of confusion is exposed by the light of clarity. The darkness of fear is exposed by the light of comfort. The darkness of emptiness is exposed by the light of fullness. The darkness of loneliness is exposed by the light of fellowship, friendship, community... The darkness of judgment is exposed by the light of forgiveness. The darkness of death is exposed by the light of life. So you see how that works. It's, it's, it's not like I have to go to every situation and be like, I need to understand everything that's going on in this situation so I can rebuke it and convict it and condemn it and expose it. But it's merely by you being the light that is Jesus And you're walking around and you're interacting with people in love, in truth, in justice, in goodness, in hope. And these things are seen for what they are. Now there's this debate. Is Paul talking about exposing the darkness in the church? Or is he talking about exposing the darkness in the world, in the broader culture? Should we take a quick vote? Let's not take a vote because I have an easier question. Where does light expose the darkness? And the answer is wherever it goes. Okay, we don't need to have a debate. Okay, if, if we as a church family are embodying darkness, and I'm not, I'm not saying we are, I'm not like aware of something, but if there were like darkness of abuse, as often there is in a church context, the light would actually expose that and say, that's done. If it's darkness going on in the world, and it's just it's lies and it's harm, and it's just bringing destruction. Then the light would shine on that as well. So, I I, I think I, I let off this way. Some of our tendencies are like, well, I'm not going to play the Holy Spirit, and it's not it's not my place to tell someone else that she's wrong, or to be on the flip side of that, we hear like, who are you to correct me, when you've got your own stuff. So who who are you to expose my sin, my struggles, when you are a sinner who also struggles? Or we've heard this, like, Christians shouldn't be airing their dirty laundry in front of the world. Like, it, it brings us down. It makes us look hypocritical. To which I say, um, no, we were already hypocritical. And by exposing hypocrisy, that doesn't make us hypocrites. It actually makes us more sincere. It actually helps us walk with integrity. But that's probably a sermon unto itself. Um, So what do we do? do Do we expose it? It's like the Mars Hill. Do we expose it? Do we talk about it? Do we let it serve as a warning? Do we bring light in that situation? Or do we say, we have no place talking about this. We should have just privately confronted. Let me say, first of all, that motives matter very much. So as you shift from just the light of your life is exposing things by virtue of the fact that you are light and there is darkness, Because there is that happening all the time. There are also more pointed, like words come out of your mouth that are actually exposing and rebuking some of the darkness. Um, like, Like, thank God that someone got out of a Nazi concentration camp and exposed what was going on so that it could be stopped. And when we go to speak those words, like pause and do this check what what was my motive when i exposed the sin the failure of this other person or the the this pattern of sin in someone else's life because if your motive is to humiliate rather than to heal check yourself like if your motive is to shame someone and that's it that is not helpful if you're just angry with someone, and your desire to expose something in their life is like, this is my way of getting revenge, then check yourself. If someone has pointed out a sin in your life, and you're like, well, yeah, but what about the sin in your life? I mean, these are some of the most discouraging meetings when you're just like, you finally work up the courage to confront sin privately, and you're like, hey, when you did this, like, that was really hurtful. And they're like, well, yeah, but people say that you do that too. And it's like, okay, then stop. If your whole attitude is just going to be like, well, yeah, well, what about you? Um, if, if there's like a pharisaical thing going on of like self-righteousness or self-defense or self-justification, well, where, where it's just like you see other people's sin with incredible clarity, but you don't see your own sin first, then Jesus would say, like, stop, take the log out of your own eye first so that you may see clearly to then help a brother or sister or someone else with the speck that's in their eye. That's why I say, check your motives. But in all sincerity, what if you desire for healing, justice, mercy? What if you are sick and tired of seeing the oppressed and the victimized. Like, I I think out on these streets, like walking around, it's like when you see something that is clearly a situation almost of like modern-day slavery, where someone's being prostituted for someone else's money and they're pimping somebody out, it's like there's something in my heart that wants to expose that and say, like, you're done treating people like that. You are done ruining people's lives for your own personal thing. And it goes on out there, it goes on in the church, not, I don't mean like drugs specifically, but just, but situations where we need to stand up for the rights and protections of others as Jesus did. So what if your motive is like, I understand that light is a powerful antiseptic and things that have a tendency of flourishing in the dark die when they're brought into the light. That's a healthy kind of exposure. I also was thinking about this. If you are confronting sin, exposing sin, what kind of confrontation is most effective in your life? And I'll give you, I'll give you four types, and then you can fill in around this. Um, the first is just like a hypocrite confronts you with just completely false accusations. Is that effective in getting you to be like, oh, wow, thank you so much. I think I'll change now. No, 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 no one changes that way. Someone may change when someone comes at you with a really explosive confrontation. And and you know they're right, but they are just angry. They have have had it, and they just let you have it. Or there's a third type where maybe someone comes to you and says, hey, I care about you, and I see this in you. And I know how hard it is because I struggle myself, but you got to stop. Or the fourth kind of confrontation is, when you simply observe a quality in someone else that you wish you had. And here's what I mean. Like when I'm around my wife a lot, when I see her being selfless in the middle of the night with my kids, you know, it's like that whole thing. Some of you aren't married, but it's like you just, you pretend you didn't hear the throwing up happening. You you don't roll over because that would signal that you were at least semi-conscious. You're just like, be totally still, be totally still, be totally still. Okay, she's moving. Okay, this is good, okay? And then I lay there, and and when this selflessness and this patience happens, she doesn't say a word to me. Like, you scumbag. Like, you selfish, impatient jerk. But I feel a conviction because my selfishness and impatience has been exposed. Or, I mean, there was a time this week where I'm just, walking by her office in our house and it's the middle of her work day and she's just got her Bible open just personally, privately reading. Does that expose the sometimes wordless routines of my life where I can just get busy doing things for God and not pause to commune with God? And I feel that. And my point is not that we never intentionally go and confront and expose the darkness because I think we are called to do that. But I hope you hear the spirit of my point that if we are the light, the more we shine that light as like, I'm just going to go love people today. I'm going to go seek justice, not just for myself, but for the oppressed. I'm going to speak words of truth. I'm going, to, I'm going to push back lies. I'm going to stand up for that person that no one's standing up for. And I know that she's in the right and everyone else is wrong, but this is not politically correct in our work environment to stand up for her, but it's the right thing to do. And, and trust me when I say that God uses that to expose the darkness. And that is a way that, that just winsomely confronts. And it's like, ugh, like, you don't have to play the Holy Spirit. You just have to live like Jesus. And the Spirit uses that to be like, oh, man, I am so convicted. And that leads me to this one very brief last point that I, I think is very encouraging from verses th- 13 and 14. He says, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. And we already talked about that. Like you, you, you come around the bend with your headlights on and what was dark now becomes light. Notice this. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And this final point is to exhort the slumbering. And in the first phrase of what, whatever Paul's quoting, he's not quoting the Old Testament directly. It might be a paraphrase of something like Isaiah 60, verse 1. But many people believe he was quoting an ancient hymn that the Ephesians knew. But this first phrase, awake, O sleeper, there the slumber is sleep. In the second phrase, and arise from the dead, the slumber is death. And by the way, according to like Mark 5 and other texts, to Jesus, sleep and death are apparently not that different because remember the little girl that died and he's like, oh, don't don't sweat it. She's not dead. And they're like, okay, he's a moron. She's dead. And he's like, little girl, arise. And he brings her back from the sleep of death. The point is, whether you're sleeping, sleeping, or whether you're dead, sleeping, if you're slumbering spiritually, you are useless. Like, God's not using you. You may not be literally dead, but you're not actively doing God's will. So we're called to use our lives and to use the light of Jesus to rouse the slumbering. Again, what, it's not my place to determine, like, are you spiritually sleepwalking? Or are you spiritually dead? I don't know. But, but get up. By shining the light of Jesus into their lives. And what's what's exciting is he's talking about conversion. He's talking about darkness being illuminated by the light so much so, so that it now becomes the light. See, we don't shine the light to say like, look at me, look at my greatness, look at how awesome I am, look at my good deeds. We shine the light so that people can see how truly awful the darkness is and desire the light more than they desire the darkness. Like when you expose sin and corruption and crime and oppression, our goal is not look at me, I'm, a, I'm an SJW, Look, I'm awesome. Our, our goal is like see that for what it is. It's disgusting, it's vile, it is destructive, and what Paul is saying is, as you do that and you exhort, come alive, wake up. He's like, the light is so inherently powerful and the light is so inherently beautiful. You know what happens? Some people actually wake up. Some people actually come alive. The church, both individual Christians and family units and Local churches and the church, when we're talking about exposing the darkness, we've got to step away from these two extremes that that our culture seems to just run to the extremes. And it's almost like you've seen this with like liberals and conservatives during the year of COVID and since, like, I feel like they're running away from each other so far and so fast, but we live on a, we live on a globe and it's almost like they've run around the backside. And now it's like, you're just two flavors of the same ice cream, and it's not a good flavor because you've run away from each other, but you've met in your hatred, in your condemnation. And I don't want you to hear me saying this morning that that polarizing, like, hatred, condemning, judgmental, just con- exposing everything in the harshest of terms that's designed to humiliate and shame and posture as better than, that doesn't look like the exposure that Jesus did, and it doesn't really change people. And the other thing that we do is like, okay, well, then I'll just run to the middle and we'll, like, we'll hold hands, we'll sing Kumbaya, we'll be allies of this, that, and the other thing that, I mean, I know he says don't participate in the darkness, but I'm not actually doing the thing. I'm just approving of other people who do the thing. And, and that will show them the love of Jesus and they'll be healed. And that's not what exposing the darkness looks like either. And I'm not just calling for a third way. I'm saying let's follow Jesus. Let's embody Jesus. He's like, you are the light of the world, but don't hide the light under a bucket. Remember that in the Sermon on the Mount? You are the light. If you just shine, you will shine. But what some Christians are like, well, whoop, I do not. And it's like, maybe no one will notice me. Let us see the loving side, the non-condemning side, the He's like, let your light shine. That others can see your goodness, but ultimately what? Glorify your Father in heaven. Well, they're only glorifying the Father in heaven if they're converted and they're like, you are glorious, you are beautiful. So I want our lives to shine light and send vermin scuttling off into the darkness. Like, yeah, go practice your vile stuff somewhere else. I mean, it's okay to be a nimby when it comes, like not in my backyard, It's like, you will practice your evil somewhere, but we are emanating light such that our community is a safer place, a more loving place, a more just place, a more honest place, a more real place, a more compassionate place. Does your life show people the insanity and the deceitfulness and the destructiveness of their sin and the surpassing beauty and greatness and glory of Jesus. Shine the light. Be who you are.